0: Good morning. morning. Boy, it is good to be back here. There is nothing like the U.S. of A. I love America. The fact that you can drink water out of the tap. Anyway, I'm so glad to be here. I missed you all. Um, For those of you who don't know, I've been in Africa. I got back about a week ago. Um, I was in the south part of Africa, and Zambia and Botswana. And Namibia and if you're like me you probably had to look on a map where are those countries Um, but I just want to tell you that it was a wonderful experience um, for me and I'm so encouraged I that song we sang earlier bless the Lord oh my soul do you like that song I love that one I I just I don't know why for sure but I put that on my phone and every morning in Africa you know my phone would go off and that would be my alarm so I woke up every morning in Africa, bless the Lord on oh my soul, the sun comes up, it's a new day dawning, and I'm thinking, where am I? And yeah. anyway, it was, it was good. And then we, the, I think it was the first song we sang this morning, and all the world will praise your great name. Remember that one? All the world will praise your great name. Now, I want to bring you greetings from your Namibian, Botswana, and Zambian brothers and sisters in Christ. They all asked me, would you please greet your church and thank you or thank them for sending you um and i it just occurred to me again when you get off a plane in some place like the south part of africa and one of the first things you do is you meet brothers and sisters in christ who deeply love jesus just like you do and then you realize our god loves this whole world and his plan is for the world Uh, And it just was reinforced again and again to me uh, how much God is doing around the world that I had like had no idea whatsoever. I I just want to bring you a a couple of words, particularly greetings. Um, These are brothers and sisters you're going to see in glory one day and they're going to teach us how to dance. (laughs) I want to tell you um, these people know how to sing and we were in small groups. It was just like twenty five. Or, or 30 pastors, and then there was another meeting of 25 or 30 pastors' wives and ministry leaders in the church. And and we mostly just had meetings, so I don't have a lot of exciting pictures to show you. But there's at least one or two that I want to show you next week. And there, there was a time when um, this brother that I was with, Carl Green, who is an experienced pastor trainer he, he'd say is there somebody here that could lead in a song and inevitably some woman would stand up and she would launch into this praise song and then they would start it was just amazing I, I don't know and I started to sway a little bit and then they kind of looked at me <laughs> and I suddenly realized here's the white guy you know trying and it's just but in heaven someday maybe I just wanted for those of you who have asked me, I just wanted to report to you that I believe God used this time in Africa to affirm and confirm in my heart that this is what He wants me to do. Um, it was one of those sweet experiences from God where you realize this thing that I've put in your heart is what you can do you can actually affect the the kingdom of heaven by encouraging pastors around the world and that that was just one more sweet confirmation to me and and I just I want to tell you. Just a word about these brothers and sisters. I met pastors who have had two weeks of Bible school and their pastoring churches. I met pastor after pastor who said, we have never had a meeting like this. I've been leading in the church for more than 10 years, they'd say, and nobody has ever come here to help us learn how to teach the Bible or how to do anything about leadership. And the the brother I was with, you know, I was going over there thinking, man, I've got so much to learn. I don't know. He told me, Carl, just be really simple. Because these brothers and sisters, whatever it is you give them, they will take and they will repeat in their churches. And many of them will repeat it in multiple churches. And many of them will talk to 10 or 20 other pastors and it will be repeated across the country. And whatever it is that you give to them. Which is really a sort of frightening idea. And it makes you a lot more serious about it. But it also tells you about why it is the church in a place, remote places like that are so weak. Because so many strange people have arrived. And taught some very strange doctrines and some, and it is repeated across the country. And I was in a church just a week or so ago and I want to tell you that church is just dying because of the lack of input and encouragement and sticking close to the scripture. Some of the very basic kind of things that you and I know about. And I just I just want to tell you that God confirmed in my heart that he can use somebody like me in a place like that to strengthen the church. And I'm looking forward to the next opportunity. To, we're actually going to go to India in November, Lord willing, a team from our church. So I'm looking forward to that. And then we'll be talking about, I'll probably tell you more in the days ahead. I also wanted to tell you that I want to thank you both for praying for me in Africa and praying for Carolyn while I was gone, but also praying for this transition in our church. I wasn't here last week. I understand Pete Amon got up here and announced to you all that Dave and Amy Teixeira have accepted our offer to come and serve as lead pastor. You were here? You heard that? So, And I just want to say to you, thank you for praying for the elders during this period of time. We we so deeply wanted God's leading and confirmation, and we believe He has given it to us. And I want to tell you personally that I believe this is a really good match for Cedar Mill Bible Church. You're going to find this guy and his wife, Dave and Amy, um, to be people. You will really like them. Um, they're, just, they're just, I think you'll discover they have this incredible love for God, love for his people, love for the church, love for the word of God. Um, he is a leader. Um, he's passionate about lost people, and he loves the church. I think you'll discover that he will love you. He's a tremendously gifted fellow. Um, and he's so different from, from me that it's going to be fun for you all. Um, I, for those of you who know me, know me that I'm sort of on the introvert side, kind of. Um, and he's not. And, but anyway, I, you're going to find him very fun, and it's, it's going it's to be encouraging. And so, But I do ask you, would you pray for them? Uh, right now, because they are saying goodbye to people they love in Southern California. This is a difficult thing. So will you pray for them? I talked to him just the other day on the phone, and I know he's a little bit heartbroken about that, but so excited to come here, too, so it, it's a thrill for me to see it. Um, let me tell you also about what you can expect in the coming Sundays. Did you get Dan Larson's email? If you're not getting that, you need to, like, write on one of those little cards about your email address so you can get that, because Dan sends one out every week, and it updates us on what's going on. Going gonna happen, but let me tell you about the next five Sundays, or this Sunday, and then so that just so that you'll know what to expect in these days, because this is an interesting time in the life of our church. Of course, I have a message that I want to share today, and also next Sunday, um, was it, that's Labor Day weekend, I think it is. But anyway, next Sunday I want to share also uh, something with you that I think God is telling me to tell you, and then the following Sunday is uh, our roundup, and I'll share just for a few brief moments in here, and then we'll go out and and. Have some barbecue and a good time together. The following Sunday, September 15th, will be my last message as pastor-teacher here, and and that message, I have I want to focus on what I think is the most important thing in the world, and share with you for a few moments. And, and on that Sunday, we're going to welcome Dave and Amy. Um, I don't know if we're going to commission him that Sunday or not. At least we're going to welcome them and give you an all all you an, an opportunity to meet them. Um and then the following Sunday, uh September 22nd, Pastor Matt's going to preach, is that right? Okay, good. And then the following after that, uh September 29th, um will be Dave to share his first message as lead pastor of our church. And I think maybe that's the Sunday when we're going to commission him to the ministry and and we'll have some time together for you to get together and meet them and I think on that Sunday. So you, you got that? I could repeat it if you didn't, <laughs> So you won't want to miss any of these five Sundays. So I hope I hope that you, you will come. Um, several people have asked a, a, about Carolyn and I. What are, what are we going to do? Uh, let me repeat one more time. We are not retiring. Um, we are making a transition into a new ministry. Um, we have actually been accepted with this mission group called Global Training Network. Um, we believe God's leading us to try to do what we can to help the church right here at home. Uh, we. I've discovered that pastors right here in Oregon also are pretty much operating alone. And they they need somebody to encourage them as much as possible. So we hope to develop uh, like a mentoring, coaching ministry here at home. But then I will be traveling, of course, and Carolyn will be going sometimes overseas because we feel pulled to these parts of the world where pastors have so little Um so we're going to be making a transition. Like on September 15th will be my last day as pastor-teacher. It'll also be my last day on the staff. Uh, so we plan on shifting full-time to focus on this ministry. We're praying now that God will send us some partners who believe in this kind of ministry and believe in us. And I'll talk to you more about that. And we'll be planning future trips. I'm thinking now already about next year. And I will be praying for and doing everything I can to encourage what is happening right here at Cedar Hill Bible Church. These are good and exciting days for our church, and I hope that you are encouraged, and I hope in the coming weeks you will be particularly encouraged. I I think you will see God's movement among us. We are not focused on a man, and our hope and confidence is not in a man. It's in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, but we believe God is leading us, and he intends to do some very significant and beautiful things right here in our church. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Our church. Every day in Africa, it was like a bell went off in my brain. It was the word, love the church. Love the church. And and I want to tell you, uh, I want to ask you um, to love the church in these days. Particularly now. I want to ask you to. Maybe even to make a change in your own life and your own doctrine, theology, your own perception, your own convictions, your own heart about the church. One of the things that God was, I believe God was saying to me, you know, I would talk to these pastors and I would see their amazing love and devotion to Jesus Christ and to their people. And even in great weakness and lack of resources, the, the church is just amazing. And, and I would see again and again what God has done in the life of God's people in, in places like Zambia and other places. You know, the, it is the purpose of God to focus on the church. You know this, don't you? And I want to talk to you this, this morning about loving the church. Now, the word the church can be used in a couple different ways because the Bible does. The Bible talks about the church in terms of what we would call the universal church, that all of the saved of God and down through the generations... Uh, Ephesians chapter 3 verse 15 talks about God's whole family in heaven and on earth. All the saved are called the church of God, the ecclesia, the called out ones. This is the, if you will, the universal church or the corporate church of all the generations, all the Christians around the world and down through the generations. That's one way in which the Bible uses the word church, the church. The way the Bible primarily uses the word the church is to talk about what we would call the local church or a local church family. The Bible sometimes refers to the universal church, but most of the time in the Bible it refers to the local church, the church meeting in a certain place like us here in this place. The majority of the Bible references are about the local church, and God's plan has been for a long, long time to organize local collections of Christ followers together in what we understand as the church. And when you open the Bible, you realize that's what, that's what originally happened in the book of Acts. That the apostles went out and they won people to Jesus Christ and then they organized them together in a church and, and Paul's letters begin again and again with the words to the church that meets at. Uh, and because Paul was focused on starting churches and then encouraging churches and equipping churches and telling Timothy to go and appoint elders in the church because the church needs to be together, And the church needs spiritual shepherds, and that's one of the primary ways that disciples are made. In fact, I don't think you can be a balanced, healthy, growing disciple apart from the church of Jesus Christ. So, I'm speaking of the second church, the local church. I'm talking about the the gathering of the church. And, and And I want to talk to you about your personal commitment, conviction about the church. Do you love the church? Not a place. It's not the buildings, by the way. The Bible, no, nowhere talks about the church as the buildings, which is one of the odd things that's happened to us here in America because what happens to us in America a lot of times, maybe you got up this morning and somebody said, let's go to church. And, and if you would ask them, what do you mean the church? You might have thought, well, the building down there where these people meet together. But we could lose this building And we would still be the church. We might have trouble figuring out where we're going to meet, but we would still be the church. The church is not this building. You know that, don't you? So we need, first of all, to say, okay, what are we talking about? We're talking about the local churches, the people of God. Now, what's also happened in America, actually it's not happened only in America, it's happened around the world for a long, long time, is that people say the church has got a lot of problems. This is not news, by the way. The church has got problems, it's got needs, it's got weaknesses, you know. Other people say, I've been hurt by the church. There are some people say, I don't want to have anything more to do with the church because of what I've experienced, or the church is like irrelevant, or it doesn't matter, or, you know, I'm not interested. And so people pull back, and sometimes they disengage, and other people say, well, we're going to go church shopping. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Church shopping. We're going to go church shopping to find a better church because we don't particularly like this one. And I've heard people again and again say I was wounded by the church. You weren't wounded by the church, you were wounded by somebody in the church. Which is actually not surprising when you stop and think about the church. What is the church? It's people. And wherever you got people, you got problems. Right? And wherever you got people, somebody's gonna get hurt and people are gonna do dumb things. And sometimes it's the pastor and sometimes it's other people. And so many times people pull out and they sort of pull away from the church and say, I no longer love the church. I'm not committed to the church. And and, and then I hear things like, I believe in Jesus, but I don't need the church. Every single time I've ever heard that, I've usually tried to quietly say, the Lord Jesus does not like it when you say that. Because he doesn't. Because he is the one who died for the church. Of course the church has strengths and weaknesses. Of course. So when you get involved in a church that has strengths and weaknesses, what do you do? My friends? you commit yourself to help, help the church to grow and to strengthen the weaknesses. Do we have strengths and weaknesses here? Oh, yes. I've been here a long time, and one of the things I realize now is that a lot of the weaknesses of this particular church family are the same weaknesses that I have. Because we tend to duplicate ourselves one of the great things is that now God's people are coming together with different gifts and different, different strengths and abilities, and this church is growing. And it's becoming more and more what Christ wants it to be. I love the church. Do you? I place before you the proposal then, love the church. Make it as part of your conviction, your doctrine, your theology, Your deep heart conviction that you will, until the day you die, that you will love the church. This is not unimportant. In fact, it is crucial. Some Christians think it's unimportant. But I believe it should be one of the primary convictions of your heart that you love the church, that you understand the weaknesses and strengths, and you choose to love the church also. You look around and you say, are a lot of weaknesses there. I fit in. And you do. But we should live out what it is that we... Believe You should love the church. Let me tell you some of the reasons why. I I could list probably 20, but I picked five. And I've shared these with you before, so this is not news. But let me just share them one more time with you. We should love the church in your notes, first of all, because Christ loved the church. Christ loved. Of course he did. I remember Matt preaching through uh, Ephesians 5 uh, seven months ago. We were preaching through Ephesians, and he focused in on this, and he was doing that. He had this, like, long portion of text to try to teach, and it was difficult because it was talking about marriage. Remember Ephesians 5? If you have your Bibles turned to that, would you? Turn, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, uh, where where Paul is saying to you now, husbands, love your wives. At first he says, wives, submit to your husbands. Then he says, husbands, love your wives. It immediately says, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Those four words were like banging around in my head for the last several weeks, particularly as Christ loved the church. Christ loved the church. And Matt was trying to teach both of these things because the text talks about both you know, husbands and wives, but then Christ and the church. And, and Paul is using this illustration of a husband loving his wife as an illustration of how Christ loved the church and gave himself up for which puts a great load on the husband to love his wife. But then Paul says, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. And he was, and he was really saying to us, look, this is, this is the design of God, that the Savior of all loves the church. Christ died. He came for the church. He lived for the church. He suffered and he died for the church. He rose again for the church. He established the church. Jesus is committed to bringing glory to his Father through establishing churches around the world that, that will bring glory to him. He uses the church. It's just an amazing thing that God uses this strategy and this philosophy to bring glory to the Father that God would actually do this, that he would say, I'm going to bring glory to myself through you people gathering together as local communities to to reach out in the name of Christ and and to become more and more the people that I want you to be. Christ loved the church. The Bible calls the church his body, that he gave himself for the the church. It is called the church of Jesus Christ because the church is his. So now I want to ask you, do you want to be like Jesus? Yeah, yes, of course. We probably wouldn't be here if we didn't want to be like Jesus. Well, Jesus loved the church, so make the application yourself. Christ died for the church. We must learn to love the church like Christ does. The first reason, the most important reason, is because of the Master himself. If you're going to be like Jesus more and more, you need to love the church. You will share his heart. And that's the goal, isn't it, of being a disciple of Christ, sharing the very heart of Jesus himself? What does Jesus care about? He cares about the world, and he cares about the church, and many other things too. Second reason I want to say why we should love the church is because the church exists for what is valuable and eternal. It is one of the unique things about the church of Jesus Christ that separates it from every other organization and and. Just every other company, every other business, every other program in the whole world. We talk about things that nobody else talks about. When's the last time you ever got together with a group of people and talked about souls? Or lost people? Or forgiveness? When's the last time you ever got in a business meeting and talked about eternal life? When's the last time any of us ever really focused anywhere else but in the church about worship or the gospel or the power of the gospel or the kingdom of heaven? We talk about these things. We talk about these things all the time. And we are the primary place. The church is the primary place where these things are talked about again and again. The church is really the only place that takes these things seriously. There are parachurch organizations that also take it seriously. And they are really, in a sense, part of the church. But it's only in places like this where we take seriously the words of Jesus when he said, What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? That's Matthew 16, 26. The church is the only business that cares most about what is most important and what is eternal. This is one of the reasons you should love the church. Because we attempt in obedience to Jesus Christ to focus on that which is eternal. It is only in the church. It's only the church that cares more about how happy I am after I die than how happy I am before I die. Have you noticed this? I mean, this is one of the primary callings that we have. I want you to be really good after you die. It'd be nice if you were really good here. But I'm frankly not as concerned about that as I am. What's going to happen to you when you close your eyes for the last time here in this world? See, the church is unique in this way. We care about what is valuable and what is eternal. A third thing why we should love the church is because the church is where we discover that God is changing us. God is changing us. Isn't He? Think back the last six months. Has God changed you? Can you think of any way, any particular way that you know that God is changing you has changed you? That you are a different kind of person now than you were even six months ago? Now, if you think, if you think, well, uh, six months ago, I'm exactly the same as I was six months ago, you really need some help. <laughs> Can I suggest to you that God has been trying to do something in your life and maybe you haven't been listening? Because we all need to be changed, don't we? And isn't God changing us all the time? Have you arrived? Are you like, okay, coasting to glory? You know, I'm pretty much together. Right? You think? No. You know. And some of you are a little older, thinking, "Well, you know, I've done all the changing. I'm going to do." <laughs> Wrong again. Right? I mean, God, God is constantly working on us. You have your Bible. T- take your Bible. I know you've heard me refer to this, and I'm going to do it again. Acts chapter two. Would you turn in your Bible to Acts, the second chapter? Is that wonderful place in the Word of God, and you're familiar with it. But good to remind yourself on a pretty regular basis. When you're talking particularly about the church and how it started and what happened and what is it like and how does God change people. Acts chapter 2, of course, is that place where it's the day of Pentecost. Jesus has come. He's lived with the disciples for three and a half years, he's trained them, and then he suffered, and he died, and was buried, and he rose again the third day, and then he appeared for 40 days with his disciples, and taught them, and trained them, and then he ascended into heaven, said, go into all the world and make disciples, and then he said, but wait, wait in Jerusalem. Until the Holy Spirit comes for power. you got to wait for power. So wait in Jerusalem. And so they did. They waited in Jerusalem. And they were gathered together worshiping on what we call the Day of Pentecost. What the Jews called the Day of Pentecost. And that's Acts chapter 2. And then there was some like stunning things that happen and people are saying what is going on here and then peter gets up and he preaches he doesn't have powerpoint he doesn't have notes he just spills it you know about what has happened and we walk with jesus and you crucified him and he's the messiah and he rose again he just told the story again and if you have your bible open you know let's see verse 30 acts chapter 2 no verse 36 Peter concludes, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. That is not holding anything back. You crucified the Messiah. And verse 37 says, When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit the promises for you and your children and to all who are far off that means i think gentiles around the world for all whom the lord our god will call with many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them save yourself from this corrupt generation those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3000 were added to their number that day how cool was that 3000 3000 some say how did they baptize that many people well You baptize one, and then he starts baptizing, and then he starts baptizing. Anyway, figure it out. Do the math. It's not it's not impossible, right? So anyway, but that's not what I want to talk to you. What I wanted to talk to you about was verse 42. Now, within a matter of days, we don't know how many days, but within a matter of days, something dramatic happens to these people, these thousands of people, many of whom lived in Jerusalem. It says this is verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Notice the word devoted. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Every single time I read that, I think, oh, God, do it here, do it here. They were such incredible people. They were just, the word change, they were just changed. Now, not everything in their life, they were still ordinary people, had a lot of the same struggles and difficulties and flesh and all those things. They didn't understand everything, but what incredible dramatic change. Suddenly they were together, and they belonged to each other because they belonged to Christ. And now they have this hunger for the apostles. What did Jesus say? Help us to understand the Master. We have been baptized in His name. Help us to know Him. And then they're gathered together in the temple as big groups to worship. Then they gather together in homes to fellowship and eat together and love each other and, and, and to help each other grow. Then this astounding thing, they start selling their possessions and giving to the people as they had need. Think about that. Have you ever done that? Have you ever sold anything? that you had and taken the money and not used it for something else, but given it to somebody in need. This is, became a common thing among them. It was just amazing. They broke bread. They ate together. They took the Lord's supper together in homes. And, and then there were miracles that happened. You know? What do you think about the miracle thing? Now, this was a unique period of time. I know that, and you know that. So I want to say to you, I believe God did some miraculous things that He probably has not desired to repeat down through history. On the other hand, I just came back from churches where pastors believe in miracles. And so they ask Him. And you know what? He does stuff. I'm still pondering my doctrine on that all i know is what i see and heard i just want to tell you these people deeply believe in these kinds of things and they practice them perfectly oh no oh no are they weak and struggle and sometimes carnal and mistah oh yes but then so are we and i look at this and i think oh god could you change us to now, we're not trying to become like the first century church, had a lot of problems and needs, but wouldn't it be great for us to see some of these kinds of things? I want to say to you, these people are being changed. And I want to, and I want to say also to you the most dramatic change that was most obvious in their lives was their relationship to each other. God did something stunning in their relationship and their commitment to each other that then began to have results, and and people would begin saying, see how they love each other, just like Jesus said. And then people were drawn to Christ. They were sort of frightened of Christ, but then drawn to him by these people. I want to say God is still changing people. And immediately in the book of Acts, they were never called Christians until they got off into Gentile Antioch. You know what they were called? They were called followers of the way. way. Isn't that fascinating? Followers of the Maybe we ought to reclaim that. Followers of the way. What does that infer to you? It infers that they had a different way of living, doesn't it? That God had called them to a different kind of everything. They had a way now that was about Jesus. He said, I am the way. And they said, okay, we're walking in the way. They became more like Jesus They listened to His words, they followed Him, they submitted to Him, they submitted to one another, they repented, and they changed. Are you ever too old to stop changing? And doesn't God want to do something new in your life in these days? My friends, we we talk about being people of faith and love and hope, and I want to tell you that God wants to change you. He wants to do some new things. If He can do some new things in someone like me, He can in you too. And he's just thumping me about a bunch of stuff, I want to tell you. Maybe I'll share with... Maybe I won't. I don't know. Anyway. Okay, we got to go on. Every now and then my mind goes... Okay, fourth thing. We should love the church because the church is where we learn to love in new ways. This is where we learn to love in new ways. If you ask me, Carl, where have you learned to love? You know where I've learned to love? I've learned to love from my wife. And I've learned to love from the church. And frankly, sometimes I don't like either. (laughs) But I love my wife. I'm more devoted in love to my wife than I have ever been in my life. And I love the church. I'm more devoted in love to the church than I have ever been. The church exists to show the love of God. We exist as the people of God to show the love of God. People so desperately need to know something about what love is. We live in a world so confused about love. I mean, people just are just so puzzled and confused about what love is. Again and again, for 26 years here, every week, sometimes every day, I would hear something about somebody loving someone else in some kind of incredible, sacrificial, wonderful way. might be a real simple thing where somebody just dropped what they did and they went to the hospital because somebody in their small group was hurting I've heard again and again of people right here, and some of them are in this room. Of, I've, you know, I've heard sort of through the grapevine about how somebody gave something to someone else or how somebody sacrificed to enable somebody else or, or somebody, it's just a, a couple reached out to another couple because they knew they were struggling. They went to them and in love, they said, we want to help you, we want to pray with you, we want to encourage you. Again and again, I've watched our staff sacrifice in their life. But not just our staff. For many of you, I want to tell you, this is a place of great love. And we have a ways yet to go, don't we? And this is the place where love happens, where real love happens. That love is not primarily something I feel. It's primarily something that I do. And again and again, you look at the Word of God and you say, loving God and loving people is the main thing. Loving God and loving people is the main thing. Look at the walls. Remember? It's on the walls. The great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. We, that's on the walls for a reason because we need to remember it, that this is like the main thing that God is constantly calling us to love. The fifth thing is this. We should love the church because the church is where we experience the glory of God. It may seem strange to you to think about that. Do we really see the glory of God in the church? Your Bible, Ephesians chapter 3, again. One of my favorite places in the Word of God. And when I first came to Cedar Mill Bible Church in 1987, this was the first sermon I preached from these verses, Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. That's a rich place in the Word of God. And, and it, it's like a tantalizing vision for me that I have not yet seen fulfilled. But I've seen glimpses. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to the power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church. Do you see that phrase? To him be glory in the church. I've asked you before, what does that mean? Is it possible for there to be glory in Cedar Mill Bible Church? Is it possible? Is this some kind of abstract kind of thing that we will never see? Or that we only see... Just rare glimpses of? Or could it be, could it be that God would do something so amazing among us that we would see glory in the church and you would anticipate seeing glory, the glory of God in the church? What is that? Is that like the building, the walls glow? You know? Is that a feeling that you have during a worship? What is, what is that? To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever, this generation, this generation and forever. My friends, the glory of God is when the people of God bring him honor and glory by the way that we live. And the church, the local church, is the primary place where this must happen. That this is why we exist. We do not exist for getting together together. We do not exist just for, for gathering together to worship or to feel good. This is not a supermarket where you, you go and you take find something and then you go home. This is about the church being the people of God and experiencing the very glory of God. How is this going to happen? How can it happen? Do you anticipate? Do you want it? Do you pray for it? And what would it look like in your life? And would you have a part in it? Would this be something that you do and you observe other people? Or is this something that where God wants to be is brings glory to Himself through you and your life and what it is you do and your group or when you gather together when you teach or when you love children or when you disciple young people or, or when you commit yourself to ministry isn't this the glory I've sometimes I've seen the glory of God in the church and I think I love Amazing is this. When God reaches down out of heaven and takes these people and brings glory to himself through their simple service and love and devotion. God wants to see the glory of God. We want to see the glory of God in your home, in your family, with your children, in your marriage, in your small group, in your maturity, in your joy, in your thought life. The glory of God in the way you think. And how you behave and how you treat each other in your own family and how you love other people in your group and how and how you are able to actually tell other people who know nothing about Jesus what it means to be a follower of Christ. I put in your notes, to be like Jesus, we must love the church like Jesus does. We must love the church like Jesus does. And now we've come full circle to the primary reason why we love the church. We love the church because Jesus does. Do you love Jesus? you want to be like Him? Do you want to share His heart? Isn't that the greatest thing possible, that we could share the heart of the Messiah Himself? To share the heart of the Son of God? Can you share the heart of the Son of God? Can you be like Him and like His heart? Can you care about what He cares about and love what He cares Love who He loves. Does He love anything more than the church? Does He? He loves the world. Of course He loves the world. He loves the universal church, of course. But does he love this church? Does he? And does he love you? And want for you something incredible? He, he loved the church so much that he gave himself. Put in your notes, what should loving the church mean for us? What should it mean? Well, sort of talked about that some. If I was going to try to summarize it in one word, I would use the word commitment. Because I want to tell you, you cannot love without commitment. And those most of you here are old enough and wise enough to know that, that love always is about commitment. It's never primarily about a feeling. It's always about commitment. It's about what I commit myself to, who I commit myself to, how I behave, what it is I do. It's about together. It's about community. It's about what Matt was talking about with our sisters here. It's about family. We are a family. And we have responsibility then to one another. So if you love the church, you don't leave. If you love the church, you commit. You commit to one another. If you love the church, you serve. If you love the church, you give. If you love the church, you pray. If if you love the church, you receive and you worship. Of course you do. But also you love the church like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I would leave this with you. Would you ponder what this means for you personally to love the church like Christ loved the church and gave himself? What does it mean for me to give myself up for the church? We should love the church. Now I ask you, do you love Cedar Mill Bible Church? I do. You You say, I'm not asking do you love everything that happens here and the way it happens. I'm not even asking if you like us all. I'm asking do you love this church because Christ loves the church. God has made me part of this church family. This is where I love and serve and give and worship. I long for you to have this deep commitment in your own heart that I will love this church. God's calling me, I believe, to try to influence some other churches If I can, after 42 years focusing on loving two church families, we're going to go out a little bit. But I want to tell you, I will never stop loving Cedar Mill Bible Church. And Dave Teixeira said, I'll have you come back and preach on occasion, so you will still hear from me. Um, But I want to say to you that I'm not concerned about myself at this moment. I'm concerned about you. Because Cedar Mill Bible Church is about to go through some interesting changes. Not just our our focus is not on man; it's on Christ Himself. But we, are, God's doing something different among us. Have you sensed it and felt it? And I think it's really, really good. And I'm just looking forward with great excitement what God's going to do among us. We want to bring glory to Jesus Christ and change in this world. And we want to do it through this local church as well as how we reach out in every other part of our life. Don't you want to see this? Wouldn't you love to see glory in the church? Let's pray. Father, we do ask you that you would, you'd teach us. Father, I ask you to clear up anything I've said. And for those people who are puzzled or questioning, Lord, will you help them? We ask, Father, that you would more and more, would Give us the heart of the Master. We thank you again for the great love of Jesus Christ and your amazing love, Father, that you so loved the world, that you gave your one and only Son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. We thank you that we know this. I pray for any person sitting here who who now is thinking, I don't know that I love the church because I don't know that I know the Savior. Father, will you do what only you can do in this moment Will you draw their hearts to Jesus and help them to bow before him and cry out to him and ask him for forgiveness in this moment and cleansing a new life. Father, I pray that you would help us to love the master and to love the church that he died for. And now we have this sweet opportunity, Father, to, to eat the Lord's Supper together, to remember his body and his blood. Help us now to worship in this moment. We come before you in this moment as broken people. Every single one of us, we have stumbled. We have sinned. And you have a great grace. Help us now to, to relish and delight in the grace of God in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen.